Welcome to another edition of the N- uh, the NBA. Oh, I wish it was another edition of the NBA. Welcome to another edition of the Superflight NBA Show, your Anselm Kiefer of NBA shows. Because much like Holocaust paintings, the NBA offseason is freaking brutal. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Joe Borelli, coming at you from my studio in Brooklyn. It is Friday, September 8th, 2017. Uh, we recorded this show last night, but I'm giving it to you tonight because by the time I got done recording it, I had to go to bed. And uh, I want to thank Dan Rang for coming on. He was an awesome guest, as always. So very knowledgeable about the Blazers. And if you want to check out Dan's stuff, you should go to Blazers Edge and you should listen to the Blazers Edge podcast on the Almighty Baller Network, where you can find this show. And you can also find this show on SoundCloud and Spotify and TuneIn and Stitcher and Google Play and uh, iTunes, where you can leave a rating and review. And, ah, you know the spiel. You know the deal. Just do it. Shut up. Um, What's up, everybody? Uh, So, let's see. How was my week so far? Well, uh, first of all, I want to give a big shout-out to Michael and Rose. Congratulations on the new addition to your family. You guys did it! Yay! Which is, you know, you had sex and made a thing. Um, but good job doing that thing. You did it most excellently. and Congratulations. It's going to be awesome. You guys are going to be great parents. That's my shout-out for the week. Um, what else? I think you guys know uh, I'm trying to get through as many preseason preview podcasts as I can. So I'm trying to do at least two a week. If I can fit more in, I'm going to do it, but I'm trying to get through every team in the league. It's not going to happen. So if I miss your team, I apologize. And if you want to yell at me for it, you can uh, tweet at me at Superflight Pod, or you can tweet at, tweet at me at Joe Borelli, or you can, excuse me, or you can email me at uh, the Superflight Podcast at gmail.com. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to get to every single team in the league, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. So, you know, hit me up. And if you want me to really pay attention to your team, uh, just let me know. And let me know who your team is. That would be helpful. Uh, But I'm going to try and get to everybody. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I've got a bunch of good shows lined up with a bunch of really good people that I think you're all going to enjoy. And, uh, you know, this is my little labor of love that I do for you guys. Actually, what am I? I'm lying. It's all about me. It's always been about me. You know this. I know this. I'm a narcissistic shit. What can I say? I love me. And you love me too. Don't deny it. Um, anyway, guys and gals, uh, thanks for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. I wouldn't do this if, if nobody listened. I mean, that would just be stupid. I'd be like talking to a wall, right? Which, you know, I don't mind talking to a wall. The wall is great conversation. Um, but thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate every single one of you. And yeah, I don't really have much to say tonight. I, I should just cut this off because Dan is going to come on and we are going to talk a lot about the Blazers and, uh, he's very intelligent, very informative, and he's a lot of laughs. Although I tend to laugh too much anyways, especially at my own jokes, which is kind of annoying and I wish I could stop, but I, so somehow I just can't. It's a nervous reaction of mine. I'll work on that. I'll get better at that for you guys. Um, anyway, Dan's coming right up, and after this, we'll be right back. Hey guys, I'm Byron James. And I'm Michael Keith, and we are the Fuzz NBA Podcast. That's right, we come from the land down under. Here in Sydney, Australia, we might be 942 miles away from any actual NBA action, or a violent 22-hour ride with United Airlines, but we can assure you, we spend more time watching the game, talking about the game, and analyzing box scores than we do our own wives' box scores. Plus, one time Byron shared an ice cream with Joe Ingalls. 
It was actually boysenberry in a tub. It was delicious. Anyway, we hope you can join us. We're the Fuzz NBA podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Or find us at www.thefuzznba.com. Anyway, back to the show. Yo, Dan, welcome back. Sorry, we're already recording. Still on, buddy. <laughs> Not yeah, much cool. I'm just jumping right into it. Fuck it. Because also, I've had a couple of beers, so we're good. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best way to do podcasts. Man. Hell yeah, man. It's the only way to do podcasts. And apparently, I'm much more charismatic when I'm drunk. So here we go. I'm, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not actually drunk, but you know. So I don't really tell people what I do at work, but uh, on rare occasions, once a month or once every month and a half, I get the drink at work. That should be a little bit of a hint. But uh, if you want to know what I do, I'll tell you off the air. But every now and then I get to work really late and I get to drink at work. So when I get home, I'm nice and lit. So I'm ready to do a podcast. <laughs> you know, man, I've had jobs where we actually drink at work. So yeah, you know, during the day. <laughs> That's that's sweet. What kind of job is that? I want that job. Were you were you, were you a professional beer tester? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. it's it's, it's uh, that, that's definitely an off the air conversation. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's totally fair. How are you, man? Why don't you let's uh, jump in here quick and tell uh, everybody how they can find you and and read your stuff and hear your. Do you still have a podcast? I've got a couple podcasts, man. Right. Do I still have a podcast? Sorry. Like, so, I'm a jerk. So, uh, no, I clearly, okay. <laughs> clearly haven't it's been okay. listening. It's okay. I, I, I dropped Trailing Blazers, which is which was or is uh, dormant now, uh, Blazers Almighty Baller Podcast Network. But I'm also a contributor, writer, podcast host at Blazers Edge over at SB Nation. And the idea was that we'd bring Blazers Edge podcast into the Almighty Baller Network, which happened two weeks ago. So... I just rolled that in, and instead of having two Blazers podcasts on there, we brought the biggest Blazers podcast into the network. Nice. So that's where my confusion was, yep. obviously. Yep. So I just kind of let it sit for a little while. I do some stuff here locally in Portland. Uh, I do post game show occasionally with 6:20 a.m. and uh, as well as with the, the morning show guys. And then I've got a podcast that I do with with 6:20 a.m. Uh, focusing a lot more on analytics. So. Um, for anybody interested in that stuff, it does focus primarily on the Blazers, but uh, I take a wider look at the NBA, which we'll start doing more and more this season. Awesome. Well, speaking of the Blazers, what the hell? Might as well just talk about the Blazers. <laughs> I mean, that's why, <laughs> that's why I have you on here, to be honest. That and I like the sound of your voice. As we discussed last time you're on, <laughs> this is this has become like a running joke. Everybody says the same thing. Like you, you've got a you've got a radio voice, and I'm like, hey, you know what? It's kind of funny, man. My uh, my parents have been saying that. You know, I've got a voice for radio and a face for or a face for TV and a, a voice for radio. So you got the whole package, um, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky man. Uh, I, sh- I yeah, should no, never be seen. It's got to turn into something. Yeah, one day, one day you'll get there. <laughs> Anyway, man, let's do a let's do a, a Portland preview for the season because I'm trying to like get through a bunch of these as many as I can possibly get to. And oh, the goody! Fir- the, fir- the first person I thought of when I came to the Blazers was you. So you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, man, that's that, that's the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should. Be. When you want to talk about a mediocre Northwest Division team, <laughs> I'm the guy. <laughs> nice. Uh well, all right. So let's 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 talk about it. What do you think of their off season? Since we haven't even gotten to the season so far, and you know we're still in the off season, what do you think of what they've done so far? 
They uh, they've re-signed Neil O'Shea to four years. What they've done, yeah. in quotes. <laughs> yeah, I know it hasn't been a whole lot, but uh, you're not that big of a fan of Neil O'Shea, are you? No, no. Um, I think he's done okay, but I think he's made some serious, serious missteps, which we've seen now. Justice Azili was proclaimed as this savior signing when they screwed up on the Evan Turner deal and the Alan Crabb deal. Um, he didn't play a single game for the Blazers and caused some locker room upheaval. Yeah. I mean, for those that don't know, he managed to get CJ McCollum frustrated enough to basically chew him out in the locker room. Oh, I didn't even know that. Uh, yeah, no, that was that was something that he basically told him to sit down and shut up from what I've been told. Wait, so, CJ told Festus to sit down and shut up. Mm-hmm. All right. Basically, you know- the gist of it, the gist of it was was Azili was trying to impart some wisdom from being on a championship team, but he hadn't played a single game. He he had played one practice with these guys in training camp. Right. And from that point, it had shut it down, and the Blazers medical staff basically cleared him to go, but Festus said he wasn't ready to go. So you can imagine how that would play in a professional locker room setting and having that person, regardless of their experience, stand up and tell somebody how to do their job when they're not doing the job. Right. I'm sure it didn't so, go over well, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So that 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 was the, the big savior signing of Neil O'Shea. And then we can talk about Alan Crabb last year and his deal that he got. Um, that Which, has since been parlayed into Andrew Nicholson in a pure salary dump. And Andrew Nicholson has just signed a contract for a million dollars a year to play in China. So yeah, yeah, that, that asset was parlayed into something real nice. <laughs> well, listen, kudos to Andrew Nicholson. Cause I was worried about what was going to happen to him after. Listen, I, you know, the thing I thought about, because I really care about people. I love everyone. Um, but no, really seriously. Like imagine if you're, you're, you're trying really hard. Imagine you go to college and you, and you, you study to become an engineer and you work really hard becoming an engineer, but you know, you're never going to be that good. You get a mediocre job and then they fire you. <laughs> like, I feel bad for you. Like you've at least tried, you've tried your ass off. So I always feel bad for guys who are just like trade fodder and then get cut and they have, they, they have no place in the NBA again. Anybody who can go overseas and make some money. Good for them, man. That's just my spiel. Yeah, when it comes to no, 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 when it comes to like, this is gonna kind of get off the board here a little bit. But when people, when I hear people say that you know such and such player in the NBA is trash or garbage, and I'm like, no, they're not. They're just not in the point oh one percent of the best of the best in the absolute world. Right. You can still go overseas and make a boatload of money and dominate. There's a guy don't who, forget. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what was it, Marbury Petto? How many like fifty or sixty point games? Yeah, <laughs> over in China. <laughs> I mean, that, that lets you know, like, how ridiculously good these guys are when they're taking on another nation's best players and they're making them look foolish. And, the, you know, they can't get a job in the NBA. Yeah. It's... I mean, that, that, that's the level these guys are at. And there's new talent coming into the league every single year. And it's very difficult to stay up there. But when I hear somebody say that these guys are trash or this guy sucks, it's like, no. They, yeah. they don't suck. They're in the, the literal top 1% of what they do in the world. Right. And there's nothing that you can say or do that would come anywhere near what they've been able to accomplish. I mean, but by comparison, of course, if you compare anyone to LeBron James, yeah, they suck. But, you know, yeah, yeah. If there's, you know, there's always a thing like where you can never say that somebody is absolutely the best at what they do. I think in LeBron James case, that's one person in the entire freaking planet that you could say is probably the best player in the world. That's insane. 
You know how many yeah, mil- it's just like, billions it's of It's like people? comparing a theoretical physicist to, to Einstein. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, you're not going to stand up. You're, you're I just mean, not. It's, just, it's just how it goes. And so when when I talk about somebody like Alan Crabb, even though I disliked his contract, his production, while I wish for more, was still better than average. Right. It's just, so what I'm saying is, like, when, when I harp on a player, I don't I, – I, number one, I never make it personal. Number two, I don't – I. I don't think I've ever in my adult life used the phrase you suck right, <laughs> or this right. player sucks or doesn't know what they're doing. And I'm like, the, the delineation between those is so huge in the random fan base. And that's, that, that that's my spiel. Yeah. And then listen, <laughs> like just, just, did you read the, uh, Isaiah Thomas article in the, uh, whatever the player tribune? The yeah. Players tribune. Yeah. Like it just makes yeah. it really, really humanizing and really personal. And like I, I'm with you. Like whenever I say, for instance, I hate Kobe Bryant as a player. I mean, maybe he's a trash human. I'm being. a Blazers I, fan. Yeah, of course you. <laughs> <can't>. <laughs> exactly. You're preaching to the choir. But like I always make the I always I always give the asterisks or whatever you want to call it that like I don't know the guy personally. Maybe he's a really wonderful human being. I don't hate him personally. And for people to come out, you know, but I hate him as a basketball player. He destroyed my Sixers in 2001. And he's just been an arrogant fuck the entire time he was in the NBA. (laughs) But listen, I don't know him personally. I don't have anything against the guy. He might be a wonderful human being. I doubt it, but you never know. Um, But yeah, I totally agree with that. Like you can't, when people come out and call people trash and just like really dog them, like what everyone did with, uh, Kevin Durant last year and they're like oh he's just a coward because he went to the like dude he did what was good for him you know you can't really anyway we're getting so far but this is what my podcast does <laughs> we're getting so far off the beaten path let's that's what, what I say I, I, I said it was going to derail it no oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was where that was going to go but I mean it's, it's kind of like the whole idea of Portland under Neil O'Shea's era if yeah. you look at what way Portland is currently constructed there's nobody on this roster now who wasn't somehow tied to Neil O'Shea Right. Damian Lillard drafted by him. CJ McCollum drafted by him. Al Farouk Aminu drafted by him with the Clippers and then brought here. Maurice Harkless traded for by Neil Olshane. Yusuf Nurkic traded for by Neil Olshane. Myers Leonard drafted by. Um, you just go down the list. Ed Davis uh, signed. I mean, literally mm-hmm. every single person that's on this roster right now is a. This is Neil Olshane's team, and with the exception of CJ Dame. Nurkic, and I think you could argue for Harkless and Aminu, everything else has just kind of been, okay, blase, meh. Crab was a nice pick. He was a second-round pick, but mm-hmm. then you paid him $17.5 million a year. Yeah. Evan Turner, you paid $18 million a year for. <laughs> and <laughs> it was kind of funny because a lot of people here in Portland, oh, yeah, no, let's, let's just stay away from that because I like <laughs> Evan. Evan the person, Yeah, I like. He's Isn't hilarious player, I like. I just... I just don't like the fit in Portland. That's right. that's the big thing. Like he can be a successful player. It's just in Portland, it just doesn't make any sense. But if you look up and down the roster, these are I mean, there have been big time booms and there have been big time busts. I mean, this is a roster that this all shades you know built over five years now, and there's still serious serious holes in it. Right. You know, to his credit though, he has compiled some talent, and like you said. Crab was a second round pick. That was a really good pick for him. Like, you know, finding an incredible talent of his, you know, of his caliber, like in the second round is hard to do. He's not, he's not no, terrible. He, I but... will never knock his ability to draft. Yeah. With one caveat, which I, I'm sure we'll get to hell. We just kind of move to it now. Go ahead. This, 
this past draft moving up to take Zach Collins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had a draft we had a draft party on site and we had the radio team there and I'm sitting there talking to people, waiting to hear different things that are coming out, you know, beforehand and I get a whisper from a friend of mine who tells me that they're moving up. And I'm thinking, okay, they're moving up and they must really like somebody up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first thought was Malik Monk. Like they had a deal in place for Crab. Who is sitting right they, there. Who is sitting yeah, right or, there. Yeah, or, or a Donovan Mitchell or a Dennis Smith Jr. Mm-hmm. The only I'm thinking problem- one of those guys. I mean, trust me, I, I understand the size and, and, and the fit, but I'm thinking yeah. they must have a, pl- a, 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 a deal in place for Crab. Right, and they just they just want another guard there because Crab, while he can play the three, doesn't really play, didn't really play the three. More often than not, he was at the two almost exclusively. Okay, so I, I'm thinking, okay, they're just going to bring in more firepower off the bench, and they're just going to just roll the dice and go with it because they want to get value. Right, and then I hear somebody else tell me that they're taking Collins, and I'm thinking, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> well, here's the thing. About that that trait, you could have gotten him later in the draft. You could have got him sitting pat. I don't I don't know why they gave up. What did they give I up? I think the... he would have been gone at thirteen or fourteen. Really? You think? I I, I think he would have been gone because the Blazers had fifteen. That's true. Um, fifteen and twenty, right? Is that what they gave up for the yep. number? Yeah, number ten. So they're they're sitting right there. But here's the thing, and this is this is how it's going to be, no matter what team it is. When they go back and look at this trade in four years, five years, mm-hmm. if Justin Jackson and Harry Giles both pan out to be better than rotation level players, or if either one of them turns into a starter or a legit sixth man, mm-hmm. and you're looking at Collins and he's still not developed, you just wasted the the entire prime of Damian Lillard's career. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Like- and for me to, to justify that move, it's very, very hard for me to, to look at that. So would you think then that maybe Neil O'Shea is more just like a, so he doesn't gamble big, right? I mean, I think this was a mediocre gamble. It wasn't huge. He, he's never, he's never swung for the fences and right. landed it. And that's he- been my biggest critique of him. So basically you could sum up his entire career in Portland as just mediocre. Like he's not terrible, he's he's got an okay oh, there, eye for talent. There are definitely worse GMs, right? So, what would you have done if you were if you were the Blazers? Would you? I mean, if you weren't going to sign him or re-sign him, who would you want instead? Is the sort of the question? I mean, and there's there's a lot of guys out there. There's a lot of candidates. Who? Brad Turner? No, no, no. I mean, for for your general manager, like, would you have let him walk? Was he done after this year? No, check? he still had time on. He still had time on his contract. So they just gave him but a re-up for, yeah. Here's the thing, though. They had, um, there was a leak by Atlanta, I believe, that they were looking to talk to Olshay. Mm. And it wasn't by Atlanta. It was for the Atlanta job. And I'm almost certain that was done by Olshay's camp as, see, we can go wherever we want. Right. Because the, the, they they reached out to Portland, they asked for permission to talk to Olshay, and that doesn't get that doesn't get made public unless it's Olshay's camp, right? And I think that was used for leverage to get him a longer deal down the road, and that's what this evolved into. Um, with that, 
I think there obviously there are better general managers, but certainly there are much worse. Uh, I think that Olshay here has become content because, the, and this this will get me burned here, but this is something I, I wholeheartedly <laughs> believe. I think the fan base in general is content with not mediocrity, but trying hard. Right. There's a difference between fan bases that expect championship material year in, year out. And then there's fan bases that don't care. And this is certainly not one of those. This is probably one of the most prideful fan bases in the entire NBA, if not the most. For sure. But if you go out there and put on your, your helmet and bring your lunch pail every day, they'll love you no matter what. And I think that's a bit of a hindrance to success. And it allows not just Olshay, but any GM in Portland, if they're consistently around 45, 48 wins to just hold the status quo. Right. So he's, yeah, he's, he's just sort of a middling GM, right? I guess if he's not going to swing for the fences, he's not going to, he's, he's phenomenal in the draft. I will, he's really I will good at the not draft. question. I will not question that, and he's very good at adding tertiary pieces, the Harklesses, the Aminus. Um, Everybody talks about the Nurkic deal, like it's this phenomenal deal. Well, yeah, it turned out to be that way, but when they made the deal, Nurkic was a pariah in Denver. I have a bunch of folks that I know in Denver that have all told me a million stories about how bad things were there for him and, and the atmosphere he created. When they traded Mason Plumlee for Nurkic in the first round pick, they were touting the first round pick in the press conference. <laughs> they they had a they had an interview with the sideline reporter after the deal where they were talking about going back to the the draft. That was the target yeah. was getting to the draft. They weren't talking about the Nurkic acquisition. Nurkic just made the best possible move possible and, and had a huge kind of a PR <laughs> revival where he absolutely embraced everything that was Portland and Rip City. And it became like a cultural phenomenon. Right. And, and you know, beast mode was kind of born here. <laughs> uh, the Bosnian beast was was just it caught fire and it, it fueled Portland down the stretch. If not for that, Portland probably misses the playoffs. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. You know what? Speaking of it, let's talk about that for a minute. So we're going into year two of, of this team being like, maybe not a total year two, but they, they've had like the end of the season. They have had some playoff taste and they, they're having a full off season together. Do you expect that they're going to come out? Like, so the last two years running, they've come out terribly out of the gate. They've come out, with horrible records and ultimately it almost kept them from the playoffs the last two years. It's definitely kept Damian Lillard from being in the, in the all-star last two years. Um, do you think with Nurkic there that they're going to come out on fire? Do you think they have a chance to like really do something special this year or at least succeed beyond what I think our expectations are? So for instance, I guess the Vegas line is 42 and a half wins for this team this year, by the way, exact same record they gave for the Sixers, which I think is ridiculous, but that's not, that's neither here nor there. No, that, 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 that's Western and Eastern conference. And, that's and true. even then, if I was, if I was a degenerate gambler, I would take the under on Philly. Cause that's, that's oh, yeah. just way oh, too big. Yeah. I, I got, I, I, and I love Embiid. I'm, I'm a huge Embiid fan, but you, you just both. can't gamble that health. But uh, let's put it this way for Portland. Um, I ran my simulations at all, everything that I did. Um, and I came to 43 wins. Do you think that's so going to be if enough? You're, to... If you're asking me, it, it, I okay for, yeah, for the Western Conference, for the Western Conference teams five through ten 
in my eyes, are going to be separated by five games. Mm -hmm. And what's going to decide that is the schedule and health. Right. You know, who gets hot when and who stays healthy. That that's that's those are the two biggest things. If Portland can stay healthy, Dame mid late mid season has worn down, like every year. That you know, which is kind of to be expected, just, right? If you're carrying I mean, that yeah, you're much playing of a load, 30, yeah, yeah, you're playing thirty eight minutes and you're running the offense. I mean, his usage every rate, player I think not was named re- LeBron, right, is is going to do that, right? I think his usage rate was super high, right? It was like maybe the second or third in the league last year. If I'm not, it was mistaken. high. It, it, it wasn't Westbrook or Harden high, which you I mean those are historical right, right, highs. Right. But talking like peak Kobe level, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> so. It's a lot of minutes, man. <laughs> it's a lot of minutes with with a lot of time with the ball in your hands. So yeah. it's not just like just being on the floor. It's it's setting it up. It's scoring. It's going to the rim. And I love Damian Lillard. Yeah. Um, but the the problem for Portland is is that the schedule, while easier than last year to start gets brutal in December and January going into the all-star break. And if they aren't at the end of December going into the new year, if they aren't five, six games above 500, because mm-hmm. the second half of the schedule is nowhere near, they had the second easiest closing schedule in the NBA last year, post all-star break, which is part of the reason why they, they made that huge push mm-hmm. uh, on top of adding Nurkic. But they, uh, if they don't have it in gear by the new year, they won't make the playoffs. I mean, because like I was saying, teams five through ten, I think you're going to separate it between five and six games. Right. Who was I? I and if, sorry, I don't even know what if off the top of my head. I don't know this. Maybe you actually know it. But who had the the least amount of wins last year that made it into the playoffs in the in the in the Western Conference last year? Uh, I think it was somewhere around forty three or something like that. Right. Maybe more. Uh, it'd be I, either Portland or who had the eight seed in the East last year. Uh, jeez. Who, who, right, forget, forget who did Boston play the first round? I can't even remember. Now. I don't even Hawks. remember either. <laughs> I think it might have been the Hawks. Yeah. No, but, but I, I mean, mean, like in in the West, I think the cutoff the cutoff for for the West is probably going to be forty five, forty six. Right. It's got to be because like teams that. five through ten are going to beat the hell out of each other. Right. And the and the West that, has improved this down year. Yeah, across the yeah, board, I mean, they've all gotten so much better. Not so much well, better, but they're all improved. Right. Everyone but Portland. (laughs) (laughs) Which which... that's the thing. Like the Northwest division is the toughest division in the league. Hands down. Denver was already a decent team. They just added Paul Millsap. Oklahoma City adds Paul George. Uh, Minnesota adds Todd Gibson and Jimmy Butler. I I mean, Utah is the only team you can make the argument for them falling off that Gordon Hayward. But they've got one of the deepest benches in the league and they've got the second best defensive player in the league. Right, and they're not scrubs. I mean, asking Rodney Hood to come in and step in for Gordon Hayward's tough shoes to fill, but Hood's talented enough to be a twenty-point per game scorer, and they have a phenomenal defense and versatility up and down the lineup. They're still going to grind you out, right? Defensively, still... night in, night out. So that's not going to be an easy win. Um, so you you look at the division alone, and Portland, you could make an easy you make an easy enough argument that they're ahead of Utah. I I, I can go with that. I don't think it's going to be as simple as that, but I can I can see that without batting an eye. Right. Having them better than Oklahoma City? No. Sure, if if, if Westbrook or, or George get injured or they don't get it together, right. better than Denver? Well, Denver finished a game behind them last year. Portland lost Crab. Denver added Millsap. I, I mean, that to me is the swing. Right. 
Offensively, they're going to be a nightmare. Minnesota, I, while I don't think they're going to win 50 games because it's hard to bring new guys into the into the fold like that, Wiggins, Butler, Cat is a nightmare. And then you throw in Taj, who's familiar with Tibbs' system, on top of Butler. That's, I mean, and Teague's not a slouch. No. That's a playoff-performing point so, I mean, you look at where Portland sits right now, and it's it's very, very, very hard for me to see them solidly in the playoffs. Could they get in the playoffs? Absolutely. Could they all put it together? Sure. But it's very hard for me to just stand here on the mountaintop and proclaim that Portland's going to be in the playoffs. Right. I, I don't I don't think anybody is. I think, I, I think everyone realizes what their situation is, right? It's going to be a tough road. The West is insanely stacked right now. Um but what about this? There was talk of them trading for Mello. And yeah, it, that, that's kind of been the the, the, the momentum of the offseason was whether they were going to be involved with that with a Mello deal or if they were going to be a part of the deal as a tertiary or a third team right. and take on Ryan Anderson. And Ryan Anderson to me, no. Portland just moved a terrible contract that's nearly unmovable and got nothing in return. Right. Um, moving more pieces to bring in a contract that's even worse for an older player. Um, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's we, my, we, we, we've been down that road or we've been down that road. So, yeah. well, here's my, here's my thinking though. Here's my question about it. Like I understand you're in the West, you're, you're in a, a stacked division or, and you're trying to make moves to get ahead, right? Does, does Neil O'Shea really think that bringing in Carmelo Anthony is going to do anything for this team? I mean, maybe he would. Hoodie I'd Mello, be about it. Hoodie, would you? I, I, honestly, I, if for nothing else, it's going to go one of two ways. It's going to be a disaster, yeah. and it, you, you just can't look away. Right. Or, which, for me, that's plenty to talk about and plenty to write about. That's true. Or you have one of the most dynamic offenses in the entire league because C.J. McCollum is – Arguably the, the 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 most efficient scorer in the league, and people can can make the argument for Curry and 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 Durant, and I'm not going to try to change your mind. But if you look at the the numbers, what he does all over the floor is absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. And you have a guy in Mellow, and for all the Mellow haters, I I am not a Mellow stand by any reason, but anybody who looks at Mellow and doesn't realize he's one of maybe five guys in the entire NBA that can literally score in every type of position. He can score in the pick and roll as the ball handler. He can mm-hmm. score off the screen. He can score off the, off the catch. He can put it on the floor and get to the rim. He can post you up. He can shoot from deep. He can hit from mid range. There are what five guys in the league that can do all that. Well, all right. And also he's six, nine. Let me rebut that for just this hot second. I think a part of the reason we forget about Camaro Anthony is because he's been stuck in a horrible system for the last two years. Uh, yeah. three years. And it's easy to forget when a guy has not been able to do anything in the system he's in and he's constantly being berated berated by the, the general manager and he's being forced to play in a system that does not suit his abilities. It's easy for him to be forgotten about. Also, his athletic ability is not necessarily there anymore. So getting to the rim, I don't think is really one of his strong suits anymore. It seems like he's been forced to become content with a mid-range shot. And maybe coming off a screen and just, you know, hoisting up a, a long two. It's it's not been an efficient couple seasons for him. It's not been a very outstanding couple seasons for him. And also, he's playing along alongside one of the most dynamic young bigs in the league right now 
and Kristaps Porzingis. So it's, again, really easy to forget about him. I've never been that huge of a mellow fan um, because I don't – I I feel like he's a bit of a ball stopper. I mean, I, I don't think I'm the only one that would say that. But I do think that he is primed for a resurgence this year. He's – hoodie mellow is a real thing. Team, team USA <laughs> mellow, hoodie mellow, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. Um, well, two different mellows. Let's, the, be, let's be clear. Yeah. <laughs> team USA mellow can, can fit into a team mm-hmm. and do exactly what you need him to do. He still rebounds the hell out of the ball. He yes. can still create on his own. He can still, you know, set the table for others. CJ McCollum's one of the best, best catch and shoot three point shooters in the league. If you're running pick and rolls between, you know, one, three or one, four pick and rolls or two, three, two, four pick and rolls with Dame and, or CJ and mellow with Nurk rolling down the middle. It might I be mean, nice. well, what, do you, what do you do? But here's the question. Even if you could, what do you give up to get mellow? Who do you trade? You have to give up something. And I'm thinking like, there's no way you're going to have Carmelo Anthony and CJ McCollum on the same team. Cause the Knicks are going to want something they, they, in return. And I don't think they, they have, they have no leverage. That's, that's what's holding this whole deal up with New York. They right. have zero leverage. And I right. know it. I mean, what Portland would probably give up would probably be Maurice Harkless, which it's a wing for wing. Um, and but probably that, one of the rookies. But that's not even close to equal value. Like New York knows they still have Carmelo Anthony. He's still worth something, you know, he, but it, it doesn't matter. I mean, Melo has to sign off on the, on the, on the trade request. Right. I mean, that, that's literally it's, and that's why I think this deal hasn't gotten done. Cause you look at what Houston had to offer, right? What are they offering? Then they're like, no, you can't have Gordon. No, you can't have Ariza. Um, you don't want Anderson. So how do we make this work? And that's why Portland was getting involved. Um, I think Portland is when you're looking at both teams, as far as tradable assets that, you know, that a team's willing to give up for Melo. I think Portland has more, um, you know, if, if you throw in Harkless and, you know, Swanigan or, um, Collins, you know, one of the young guys, I mean, Harkless to me is on one of the best deals in the league. Um, you, you'd have to put in somebody else to make the dollars work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd probably end up being somebody like Myers Leonard. Um, but what if they did a Harkless Leonard in, in a first round pick, 2019 first round pick, you know, something along those lines. But that first round pick is going to be, if they get mellow, let's imagine that they definitely get in the playoffs. So it's going to be a low first round pick. And is that, and that's why you, that's why you go 2019. Oh, I see. I see. Yes. So you put it out there just a little bit, which would, you know, if you're looking at the Knicks, that would feed into their plans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so could work. I don't know. I, I, I feel no, like it's just not the best deal. I mean, no, it, but you, then you, again, the we've thing seen... is you're not going to get. Right. You know, we've seen deals for superstars. Where <laughs> right. nothing exactly. Given. Exactly. Look, Paul look George. Paul George got. Yeah, exactly. Marcus Cousins. I mean, look at those, those deals. I mean, there was nothing behind them. And that's just, you know. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. You know, maybe uh, Indiana really wanted to get rid of Paul George and they just didn't want to trade him within the conference. Uh, the, the Kings clearly wanted to move on from DeMarcus Cousins um, and they just made the deal they wanted to do. So if the, if the Knicks really want to move on from Carmelo and they want to get the best possible return, you know, without, you know, holding out for nothing, right. um, then that's the position that they're going to find themselves in. Honestly, at this point, I'm not certain that they really want to get rid of Melo. It doesn't seem like they do, and I think they think there's a way that they can make this work. Without Phil Jackson in the front office, without all this toxic environment going on, and, and seeing Melo work his ass off in this, you know, the offseason, it's kind of hilarious in one respect. And, like, it almost seems like he's trying too hard. Um, 
But maybe he's actually increasing his value, even just to the team that he's on. There, I could see a world in which maybe the Knicks sort of sniff the playoffs this year. But this is nothing to do with Portland. <laughs> I, I mean, I have no problem saying the Knicks could be better. But at the same time, I, I seeing them in the playoffs to me is really difficult unless Kristaps makes a massive superstar level move. Well, but don't forget the, that's the East is nowhere near as competitive as the West right now. Like, yeah, I mean, thirty-five wins something might get you into that. Yeah, and thirty-five wins might actually get you into the playoffs in the East this year. It's it's which is crazy. To think it's about. crazy. It's so diluted. Um. Anyway, uh, so there's that the whole Mel thing. I honestly thought when I when I posed this question to you, I thought you were going to hate this trade for a number of reasons. I just thought like, uh, well, Mel. Honestly, I. Did at first, and then I started looking at all of Portland's options, mm-hmm. and they're just so limited. And when was the last time Portland brought in somebody with the cachet of Mello? Well, historically, Portland's never been able to do it, right? Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen was the last time, but that was well that after his in. prime, correct? But that's what I'm saying. But yeah. he still had the cachet. He still he was still Scotty Pippen, and he was still a pivotal, pivotal player in those late '90s, early 2000s Blazers teams. Okay. I mean, you look at his numbers and they aren't going to jump off the page, but there isn't a single player on that. They they were the first model of what the Detroit Pistons would be. Yeah. Where they had seven guys that were all capable of dropping 30 on you, but they all dropped 17 a night. Which adds up I mean, to a lot of points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just night in, night out. You had to worry about, you know, you had Damon Stoudemire. You had Steve Smith. You had Scottie Pippen. You had Rasheed Wallace. You had Sabonis. You had Bonzi Wells. I mean, the, the list of guys that could just go off on a given night was extensive. It was just – but it was a different mold. I, I think it was the the beginning of the end of the, the true team mold. Mm-hmm. as opposed to the super team. Like we saw it really culminate with the Pistons later on, but the Pistons kind of ended that cycle. And then it became more about the big three. Right. And there was big threes before Miami. You had Parker, Ginobili, Duncan yeah, yeah, that yeah. were that were running the league for years. But people don't Everybody think wants about to talk it. about the big three. And I'm like, Tony Parker, manager, and only Tim Duncan are all going to be first ballot Hall of Famers. Absolutely. Do, do people for, for forget this? I think so, the thing that people don't realize or that, that they fail to recognize is that those guys were homegrown is they were, yes, they were a big three, but they were also sort of organically grown by that organization. Yeah. So it's not, it wasn't like a major trade that happened that brought those big three together. They were there. And speaking of big threes, when you look at Portland, this is the first time really in Damian Lillard's time here going into the season where you know what's going to happen as far as one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. You can make the argument that his first couple of years, he was LaMarcus, Dame, and then you could place either Matthews or Bertoum, but that was kind of an in, any given night kind of deal. Right. But there was no no depth behind that lineup because the other guys weren't developed yet. Let's put this in perspective. Their second year in the league, in the third year in the league, Damian Lillard, uh, Wes Matthews, Nick Batum, insert power forward here, Robin Lopez. Okay, that's that, those are your four. There was a period when they had Alan Crabb, CJ McCollum, Will Barton all on the bench, not getting minutes. Right. That's that's the kind of team that Portland had. And then they traded Nicholas Batum for Noah Vonley and Gerald Henderson. 
They let Robin Lopez go for nothing. They made a big deal about LaMarcus staying when they knew for a long time that he was gone. Um, the trades that were proposed for – there was a time, I believe in 2014 or 2015, when they were talking about trading um, LaMarcus to Chicago. Right. And the deal would have netted the Blazers, Jimmy Butler, and uh, the, the stopping point was Joe Kim Noah. And I believe they debated whether Taj Gibson was going to be enough. Well, Remember, Taj was still young at this, or younger at this point, and not fully primed. Right. So this is 2013, 2014. So the, the Blazers. I mean, you want to talk about opportunities missed in but, the past couple of years, and in the formation of a, a team concept or a big three heading into this year. This is the first time, really, where you have an established pecking order of Dame, CJ, Nurkic. Yeah. But the problem is, beyond that, you just don't know what the hell you have. Right, 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 right. Well, speaking of, uh, you know, we've talked about, like, what we think might happen for them. Like, they might sneak into play. What do you think the What do you think the best case scenario for them is? Do you think, like, is it possible that having Nurkic there? 46 to 48 wins. You think that's the best I, I, case scenario? I, I just don't think they can hit 50. Nurkic hasn't stayed healthy his entire time in the league. And that's not a knock on him. That's just – that's seven-footers in general. In, in my yeah, mind, yeah. no matter what team it is, if you get 72 games out of your legit 270-pound big, you're doing well. Yeah. That's it's, true. It's, it's, it's just a massive human being. I mean, in my in my, my prime physical days, I, I'm six foot tall, and I was – it my peak biggest – um, and in shape, I was 245 pounds. Jesus, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm big to begin with. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I meant the, strong, not like fat. I just meant like, yeah, no, 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 no. Oh no. I'm fat now. <laughs> <laughs> Make no mistake. That's, that's good. That's what comes to age and injuries and being yeah. big. Like, yeah. like I, I fully understand that being big limits your ability to just stay healthy. I mean, especially in a game like basketball where football, you can just tape it up and go. Basketball right. is just the constant, constant motion and in the wear and tear on somebody that big. Now, Nurkic has been all over Twitter and Instagram showing his workouts. And every – well, not every player, but a lot of players do this. But you could actually see the physical transformation of Nurkic this summer. He's dropped 35, 40 pounds. Which is really like important. He was, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. I call it the Mark Gasol transformation. Because remember, Gasol yes. was a, a bigger yes. bruiser kind of player. And then two or three years ago, he slimmed down slimmed a ton. Down Kevin Love. jacked, right? Yeah. Yeah, Kevin Love <laughs> did the same exact yeah. thing. He lost kind of that, that baby fat look mm -hmm. well, and got lean as hell. And that for Nurkic is, I mean, to me, that's the key. If he's healthy, it's a different dynamic for Portland. Now, there's still a shitload of questions. Right. But – your baseline definitely elevates with a healthy Nurkic. There's no doubt about that. And just to go to your, go along with your point there. Like, don't forget, you're we're all, all of us, all the time are working against gravity. That's when, from the yeah. day you're born to the day you start walking to the day you die. You're working against gravity. So imagine me at five nine. Like I'm pretty spry. Even at forty three, I get, I move. I, I'm quick, right? If I was seven foot, nope. <laughs> like yeah and no, 240 it's, it's, some pounds dude you're that's a massive amount of the human body is literally not meant to move like that at that size it's just you're not even meant to yeah. be that big anybody who's that big is an anomaly 
It's just that's craziness. Why I, as much as I hate the Lakers, I always point to, you want to talk about the most physical freak of all time? It's Shaq. Yeah, oh, for up sure. Until late in his career, up until late in his career, he was healthy all the time. And it's, I always laugh because, you know, it, it, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a big dude. So when I see a seven-footer listed at like 255 pounds, I just kind of <laughs> giggle. Yeah. I'm like, you know that's, that's not 255. Yeah, no. I'm like, it's like Shaq and at his biggest was was from what I've been told at 400 pounds. Yeah, he's. I mean, and I I think I talked about this on last podcast. Like when you see most basketball players that are really tall, I mean these guys are all really tall, right? Most of them are just they look like elongated human beings. They're super thin. Like even at that size, they're really thin. They're Shaq like, was now- as wide and as thick as an actual refrigerator. I have a picture exactly. of me next to him. I came I came home on leave, and I was just you know when you when you come back from overseas, anybody who's ever spent overseas in the military will tell you this. You just get big. Yeah. There's yeah. just, just there's nothing else to go with it, and I'm I'm near my biggest, and I look like a child. I look like a small child next to him. Not yeah. just height, but just girth. Yeah. And I was like 235, 240. And I, I, there was nothing to it. It was just, that's like when I, when that happened to me and I realized as a full grown adult man, that was big as I was, how physically dominating these legit bigs are. Yeah. That was what just kind of blew my mind. Like I, I've been next to Yao, who's just, enormous yeah <laughs> i've been next to shack i've i've you know i i've met these guys at, at practices and, and post games and summer leagues and stuff like that it gives you a, a whole nother appreciation for what these guys really are as athletes and and, and the size the strength and the speed and everything that kind of goes along with it and how that plays into portland is, you know it's kind of bringing this back mm-hmm. nurkic is the linchpin you know what you're going to get from dame yeah Dame's going to put up – what's funny is the numbers he put up, if it wasn't for the historic seasons of Westbrook and Harden, Dame's numbers, you know, 27, 5, and 6, <laughs> you're you're talking about like Larry Bird, LeBron yeah. type numbers. Dang. I mean, the, it, it was absolutely batty Dude, what I, he did. I love Damian Lillard. He gets overlooked so badly because of that team because they, again, for two years in a row, they started out terribly slow. And they came on by the end of the season, but he gets completely passed over. He didn't make the all-star game. Like, it's, it's criminal to me. I mean, I understand that, like, there's a bunch of guys in front of him who are on teams with really good records, and you can only allow so many guards. But the fact that he doesn't make it in, and I understand there's also the, 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 the subject of defense, which he's not very good at. But most of the freaking, like, point guards in the league are not good at defense. He's... It's just, it's a shame. Who who is an offensive, let's put it this way. Who in the NBA that plays the point guard position is a legit defender that can put up anywhere near Damian Lillard's stat line? I would say maybe John Wall, maybe Chris Paul. Uh, Paul isn't the scorer. Not, he's never, he can have those nights, but he's not the scorer. Yeah, that's true. He's more of a facilitator, but that dude can also hit every freaking shot. Every mid range jumper on the face of the planet. Well, he can, he's also, he's killer. He's a pure shooter. Forget about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who else? Who else? But I mean, but that's the archetype of today's point guard. Right. Is get buckets. Yeah. I mean, you're each, each point guard every single night is going to roast. Like that's just a given. Yeah. 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 Like, like 
Kyle Lowry is probably the only guy who I could think is in a Damian Lillard type mold with the usage, the scoring and the defense. Um, Wall is there. And in my mind, Wall's a better overall player mm-hmm. slightly he's a- because he's so good defensively. Right. The knocks exactly. on him shooting or what hold him back. Like if John Wall was even a, a remotely decent three point shooter, he could take over the league. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's just that's just another discussion entirely. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. but Damon <laughs> is is, and this isn't just me as a Portland fan. Like uh, anybody who knows me or anybody who doesn't know me, will know. Regardless of what team you play for, uh, I, I'm just gonna call it what it is. I right. mean, I, I I've written at length pieces about Damian Lillard's defense and how subpar it is and documented videos, play by play breakdown. Um, my Twitter rants, you know, there's a million things, but offensively you can't question what he does. He's one of the best in the league in nearly every single damn category. Yeah. And catch and shoot, pick and roll ball handler, isolation, uh, finishing at the rim, getting to the free throw line. I mean, he has the entire package. And so when people want to criticize him for defense, the one thing I always want to point out is number one, what point guard is doing that? Number two, look who he's playing alongside. Well, don't knock CJ because I, I, I love CJ. No, I I love <laughs> CJ, but he's not Avery Bradley. No, I like, mean Avery Bradley hides what Isaiah Thomas was doing in Boston. I mean, look at at, at uh, Oklahoma City. They've got an Andre Roberson. Look at uh, Golden. State. They've got Clay and Draymond and that whole damn team. Yeah. Look at every. Look at Kyrie. He's got LeBron. You want to criticize, but Shumpert and J.R. Smith. But I'm, but I'm, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. No, like, no, no, I got you. The guys they've had alongside them have been Portland's really good. only defensive players in Damian Lillard's career were Wes Matthews, Nick Batum, Lamarcus Aldridge, Robin Lopez. They're all gone. Yeah. Yep. Alpha Rucamino is a solid defender, and uh, probably not not solid, better than solid. He's he's an above average to great defender. Maurice Harkless can be a great defender, particularly in isolation. Mm-hmm. Nurkic has demonstrated that he can control the rim, but he's not a guy you want above the free throw line. Beyond that, there ain't nobody on this damn team that's defending. Right. Which is there? And so that that whole thing gets accentuated. Yes. That that's the problem. That's why I, as much as I love CJ, and I love CJ, I love CJ's game. I've said it a million times. If CJ had his own team, he would be putting up Dame type stat lines. Oh, for which sure. is why I think Dame Dame or CJ was would be better off being traded. Now that doesn't take into account the the personal relationship between those two guys. But if you were to flop, this is something that I've been discussing at probably a, a ton of the last couple of weeks. But, one of the, the USA Today writers, uh, Addie Joseph and I, were, were talking about this at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. What if you traded CJ to the Bucks for Chris Middleton and Thon Maker? That would be huge. It, what what do the Bucks need more than anything? Shooting. Shooting and creativity. Yeah. Who's one of the best shooters in the entire NBA? And not just a one-dimensional shooter. Right. The guy who can create his own shot. That's, that's CJ McCollum. That would actually I mean, he's be JJ, a... He, He's J.J. Redick on steroids. That would be a beautiful trade, actually. That would be so beneficial to both of those both teams. Both teams, yeah. which is why it'll never It'll happen. never happen. You get the, <laughs> you'll get the positional flexibility um, from Thon Maker, who can play the four, who can play the five. Yeah. You, you resolve those issues there. Um, you could go small. You could go super big. Um, Middleton can play the two and the three, which covers up the hole that you have there right now, which yep. you really don't know 
He's one of the best defenders in the league. He's a great three-point shooter. He's a great catch-and-shoot threat. He's not a guy that needs the ball. And here's the other thing. When he when a guy like Middleton is out there with the second unit, who's out there with the second unit leading the charge now? Evan Turner. What does Evan Turner need to be successful? The ball in the his ball. hands. The ball. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really so good point, man. That's... Think about how many issues you solve with a move like that. And I love CJ. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Uh, this is a move that I think would would be huge, but for reasons other than basketball, it will never be made. Number one, he's Neil O'Shea's guy. Number two, CJ is beloved not only by the fan base in the locker room, but by Damian Lillard. Right. Anytime I've ever seen Dame anywhere, CJ is there with him. These guys are like brothers. I didn't realize that they were that tight. Oh, these guys are tight as tight can be. Um, you know, at Summer League, not this past year, but the year before, I was down there covering it for Blazers Edge. And every time I, I saw one of them, every time I talked to one of them, the other one was right there, hmm. right over the shoulder joking. So to see CJ moved realistically, whether it made sense basketball-wise and team fit-wise – the, there's something to be said for the chemistry between those two. Now, for the on-the-court stuff, I don't think it'll ever work. But CJ showed flashes of brilliance, well, sustained brilliance, really, in the playoffs against the Warriors. He played his best defense of his career against Klay Thompson. Well, we, if he gives 75% of that, of what he gave in that series during this regular season, then you may see some things change. And that's where I think Portland, when, you're, when we were talking about the question earlier, what their ceiling is, yeah. that's when you see them getting to 46, 47, 48 wins. And I know that sounds low, but again, this goes back to the whole five through 10 is going to beat the hell out of each other. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna be uh, rough. It, seating, seating is going to be decided by games, single yeah. games. And yep. it, so getting to 48 wins would be huge. So why don't you think that the backcourt is ever going to work together? Like, is it just because of defense? Is it just because yeah, neither CJ or Dame can? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. You've like, got to, you have to have somebody there that can stop you, somebody for a few possessions. You need a I'm small not forward and a power forward that can like cover their mistakes. You need somebody that can like, well, and they've, and they've got Nurkic now. So let's just suppose for a second that Nurkic comes in, he's slimmed down. Maybe he's able to move. He does protect the rim. He, he does he protect the rim. The rim. Still, he's a, he's just naturally such him. a big body, right? Yeah, Maybe. you don't want him away from the free throw, like free throw line. No, 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 no. It's just, you don't want to put him in pick and roll. Like Damon CJ are two of the worst pick and roll defenders in the entire league at, at the guard positions. Right. And that's the problem. Yeah. Like neither one of them can get over a screen to save their life. Dan, uh, I can't remember who wrote an article about it the other day. Uh, oh, it was Matt Moore over at CBS. He he wrote an entire article about Damian Lillard, and one of the highlighted sections was how horrible he is defensively on screens. <laughs> he just he just dies on it, like he gets yeah. swallowed into a black hole. And it's just he for a guy, it's so incredible at setting guys up offensively on angles on pick and rolls. Yeah, he's just that bad defensively about about getting through and around. Like Which he just gets. Me- which to it's, me is it, bizarre. It, it, like you weird. think, yeah, yeah, you think if you can set that up so perfectly, you would be able to sniff it out on the other end. You would see you know that kind of thing coming. No. Yeah, no, man, he is he is a negative magnet to every positive magnet screen, man. It just womp, yeah, just that's, that's sticks crazy. to it. Yeah, every single time, and it, it just and it's not but like he gets chipped. Right, he just 
dies. And it's like, oh, God, now we're playing four and five. You think it, <laughs> <laughs> but do you think it's like a lack of caring or a lack of trying? Or what do you think it takes to get over that? Like, you've got to – he's got to be putting in it's work a on the offseason, right? It, he, there's no doubt. Yeah. But it's a natural – a lot of guys are bad. At, oh, my God. Sorry, I have a football game going at the same time, and I just watched Tyreek Hill <laughs> – burn the entire Patriot secondary and he threw up two fingers and said peace as he ran by them all. Dear God, that's athleticism. Uh, <laughs> anyway, back to basketball. It was back to this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was just absolutely insane. Um, but this yeah, podcast just... is now, that moment is going to live in, in history for like all of eternity. <laughs> like, Oh, remember that time? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it was it was bye bye speed. Um, but when you, when you talk about how guys like levels of getting over screens and getting through and around screens, like there's there's, there's guys that are just phenomenal at it. Avery Bradley is unscreenable. Yeah, like he just he, he knows how to attack. Him. Yeah, he knows how to get his body. Whereas Matthew Shearer in this? his prime, he would just he would just push people out of the way. He didn't care. Like you're gonna screen me? Cool. I'm gonna go ahead and throw my 230 pound shoulder right, right into, into you, you. Yeah, and yeah. make you not want to do this all night long. Making yourself small was a real skill, man. Like as, as they call it. Like well, being that's able the to... thing is like James Build is not. It's he's not svelte. Right. He's not Kyrie. Right. He's not just like Kyrie's just I, for lack of a better word, lazy about getting around screens. Oh, totally. Dame's kind of a, Dame's a kind of a bulldog. So instead of yeah. like avoiding contact, the, his problem is, is Matt put this, per, Matt Moore put this perfectly. He doesn't just, when he avoids contact, he avoids it too much. And right. he, he gets too wide on the angle. And that forces the play one way or the other. If you go too far under, the guy's going to shoot over the top. Of if you course. go too far over, he's going to drive by. But when he tries to get tight to it, because of how he's built and because of his strength and because of how much he embraces contact, he gets stuck on it. Nah. And he's not like he, he's not a Westbrook in athleticism. Dame can get up and dunk and he's got a lightning quick first step, but he's not long and, and, and springy. Right. That he's explosive. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to kind of hard to differentiate those terms. Right. No, 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 but no, it's, totally he, makes sense. He doesn't have that ranginess to get through. Like, John Wall's long as hell. Yes. He, he's, he's like Stretch Armstrong. And not only with his, his, for his height. Yeah. But he's, again, he's kind of that, that we we're talking about the thin build when we're yeah. talking about the guys yeah. that are thin. Wall is thin. Dame is thick. Like, I've been, you know, shoulder to shoulder with Dame, and he's, I'm a thick dude, and he's, pretty damn on par with me. Hmm. I mean, I'm still a bigger dude, but he's, <laughs> he's still, he's a thick little guy for, yeah, I mean, yeah. when we're talking little in the terms of the NBA. Well, how tall but, is he? Uh, he's taller than you, right? Yeah. He's barely taller than I am. He's listed at, I believe it's six, three, but he's yeah, like six, one. He's like six, one. Right? Everybody cheats their size either one way or the other. Like Kevin Durant was cheating it down for some reason. I don't understand that, but everyone else. Yeah, no, those guys are all, well, all the tall guys are weird. All the short guys are weird about it. It's yeah. The only guys who don't lie are the ones in between. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm six, seven. Yeah, that's, that's a good size. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. I'm good. You, you get some of the guys like Ron who lie about their weight who say they're 235. Yeah, bullshit. You know, yeah, exactly. But, um, Dame and CJ, I, like I, I, I love these guys to death, and no one. This, this is this has kind of been my catchphrase for this. No one would be happier in the entire world that this worked, but me. Yeah, like I would love to be proved wrong. Mm -hmm. 
Like no one would be happier than me if I was proved wrong that they got this figured out. That that CG became not just a solid defender, but a, a defensive stopper for possessions. Or Dame wasn't just a complete drop off there. Here's like, my. I just don't see it happening. Here's my thing. I'm just gonna say this right now. I'm gonna say I'm gonna pencil them in around 45 or 46 wins this season. And and here's why, because. I really believe in CJ McComb and I really believe in Damian Lillard. And I think those are two, maybe not Dame as much, but CJ is one of the smartest freaking dudes in the league. Any interview I've ever seen with him, he blows me away, man. Like I want him to yeah, do a that's podcast. That's a great point. He's well, so he's, fucking smart. He's got he a degree in journalism. Out. No, he's got a degree in journalism. That's why he's interviewing Adam Silver in the off season. That's why you see him sitting in on the NBA finals, interviewing people. Yeah. He, in this, this is kind of an off tangent, thing but uh he was the guy that kind of piped up and said something when nerland's noel turned down that contract yeah i know i saw it he's like oh and he needs better people around him like, yeah really? cj does not he doesn't he's not like um jr smith or right. any of these other guys who just get on twitter and say shit right like he he thinks through what he says before he says it uh he knows what he's saying before he says it and puts it out there that's just that's how he is as a person so for him to say something like that that made me really think about what was going on in that instance mm-hmm. and that kind of plays perfectly into what you're saying here. Like he's such a cerebral player and that doesn't take away from his athleticism. Is he, is he Russell Westbrook? No, no, but right. he still got the second best handles in the league. Yeah. I mean, he, he will still break people off. Like you wouldn't believe, which to me is also hilarious and yeah. awesome at the same time. The guy <laughs> who's not the most explosive athlete in the league is breaking people off on the regular. Yeah, man. Like I, I honestly, and I will die on this stump. I think guys with intelligence, can prolong their career and and so much and make it so much better, honestly, than they would be if. Well, you're not relying on athleticism, right? Exactly, exactly. That's the thing is, you you already stand at the cerebral parts of the game. You understand that, yeah, my steps are going to fade with years. That's why I think the the best. The, look at Tim Duncan. Yeah, yeah. Was he athletic when he came in the league? Hell yes. But was he relying on his athleticism? Hell no. <laughs> it was it was about positioning and knowing where people wanted to go before they got there. That's how CJ's been playing. That's what makes him so efficient. Yeah. He has a move and a counter move and a counter to the counter move when he's, he's on offense. He's a really wonderful, he, unique player. I, I, I enjoy he, him. He is. He's phenomenal. I mean, it, for, I, I'm, I'm a big time analytics guy. Yeah. But and everybody wants to talk about the inefficiency of the mid-range shot. Well, guess what, folks? When you hit the mid-range shot, more than anybody else, you it's, make it an efficient shot. Yeah. And it screws with defenses because you know he wants to get there, yet your defense is is designed to take away threes, corner threes, and layups. Now, that doesn't mean you're allowing mid-range shots, but you're hesitant to go out there. And that's where a guy who just absolutely kills in that, and that's why a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge is so valuable here in Portland, because it it's a huge counter to what those teams can do, what what those teams want to do defensively. You know, and that's it, why I love CJ so much. Yeah, he's isn't it funny though that for like for me personally, I hate the way Lamarcus plays. I hate the way DeRozan plays. I love CJ McCollum. I love Lamarcus. I love Lamarcus. Do you really? And, you know, I know. I'm not. Eh. Oh, and people in Portland hate me for it. Lamarcus is was my dude. <laughs> really? Like, he, him and Brandon. I mean, him, Brandon, and well, Greg. Yeah. Um, were and I will 
go to my grave believing that those three healthy together are at least one championship ring. I, I have no doubt in my mind that those three in their prime would have just absolutely ruined the NBA and the entire NBA landscape would be different as we know it today. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to fight you on that one. You're probably right. But uh, yeah, those two, there those three guys played together for 66 games. They went 54 and 12 together, which is incredible. And they, None of these guys were in their prime during yeah. those during that period. They were all kids. Yep. That's that's the, the batshit crazy thing about those teams. It's but I'm crazy. going to cry thinking about it. Um, <laughs> I love Brandon Roy too, by the way. He but was... I, I but I love Lamarcus, and I would I would kill to have Lamarcus on this team right now. Lamarcus on this team right now would be a massive, massive boon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not, with... not just. Not just for a talent spike, but I'm talking about what he does and 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 how he would fit into this team. He would play his natural four position. Yep. He would be a guy who can cover out on the perimeter on stretch fours, who can play in pick and rolls and help cover up. And that was the thing is when Lamarcus was here and Wes was here and and Nick Batum was here and even Robin Lopez to an extent, you could if if Dame's getting screened left and right, you had help. Yes. I mean there were periods where. Portland's team, they weren't the best defensive team in the league, but they weren't shit either. Isn't it funny? Like, you knew night in, night out that those guys would, were going to be a, a headache defensively. Isn't it funny and sad that LaMarcus Aldridge would fit on this team so much better now than he did when he was here or there? Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely crazy how it would fit together now. Yeah. Anyway, man, we should we should wrap this up soon, but... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every time I talk to you, it just becomes one, you know, like rambling. Never ending. Yeah. Never ending conversation. Never ending conversation. Yeah. Which is fine. You know, that's what podcasts are about. That's why we're here. Um, What's the thing you're looking forward to most this season? This to me is the penultimate season for the Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum experiment. Okay. So I think if Portland plays well, enough and gets above 45 45 or more wins i think they'll kind of stay the path mm-hmm. um so i can't believe we've gotten through an entire place podcast without mentioning my guy i'm really excited for caleb swan again <laughs> really go ahead i love biggie um i love what he can bring i love his his engine and i don't think he's gonna be the best backup big in the nba out of the gate but i think he's going to be a problem for teams in the next few years. Uh, his passing is unbelievable. His ability to work the pick and roll is phenomenal. Getting to the rim and rebounding is his second or his natural ability there is unmatched. I mean, the, the only guys I've seen in the NBA who come in with that were guys out of college like Kevin Love mm-hmm. and Paul Millsap. I mean, they, they just, they know Zach Randolph. I mean, they just know where the ball is and they read it. Like it's, it's second nature. It's, it's phenomenal. And I, and I love watching those kind of things happen night in, night out. And, but he's only it, six, nine, right? He's small yeah. for a center, but he's, yeah, he's no, he, stocky, he, right? He's, yeah. He, and he, his positioning is uncanny. Okay. He just, you just know that those guys like Ben Wallace, Ben Wallace mm-hmm. knew where the ball was going to be. Kevin Love just knows where the ball is going to be. Yeah. The, the best rebounders in NBA history. Yeah, sure. Size played a part of it. 
Um, but what made Rodman great wasn't the fact that he was the the biggest, the strongest, or the bounciest. It was the fact that he read the ball better than everybody, and he anticipated and positioned himself better. Like, Swanigan does all his work before the shot. Okay. Like, he understands where the shot is going to come from, and if it misses, where is it going to be? And he carves out his real estate, and he's there waiting for it. He's not scrambling to get to the ball. He's already there he's already anticipating. Position. So do you think that, he's going to get some minutes this year? Oh, absolutely. I think that the the what's going to come out of training camp is that Swanigan has showed so well that he's pushing for starting minutes. Really? Yeah, absolutely. It's Noah Vonley. He's not going up against a perennial all-star. That's a good point. <laughs> Everybody talks about Noah Vonley. It's like he made a big push at the end of the season. His last 20 games and his big push, he put up seven points and six rebounds. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, you know, shit on the guy. I, I like Vonley. I mean, if you were going to build a power forward in a lab, he'd come out looking like Noah Vonley. Yeah. Jack, athletic, able to move laterally, jump, long arms, big butt. I mean, he's has all the things you look for. And yes, I said big butt. You have to have a big butt to play big in the NBA. <laughs> like that's just that's a thing, folks. Like if you have one, it it, it makes life ten times easier because you can carve out so much space with it. But like, I, I want Vonley to succeed, but he hasn't shown me anything. Like, the Vonley that I saw in college at Indiana had me excited for him as a prospect going yeah. into the NBA. I, mean, I had yeah, everyone excited, right? Any bit of that. No. Like, he was the he was like a new prototype. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what he was. He, he was a old-school four body, but with the athleticism of a stretch four who could step out and shoot. Like, that's what you're looking for. Right. He could play four. He could play small ball five. He could be an offensive weapon. Uh, defensively, he could do all the things. He could rebound. He could block shots. He could play the pick and roll. But like, he's just been there. Like he got the power forward position just because nobody else was willing to take it. Well, I mean, and Davis again, they don't really have a really, they don't have a greatly, you know, a great roster for you. They don't have a whole lot of depth at the power forward position. So of course he's gonna step in and fill that role, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, who else are you gonna just, put there? I mean, yeah, Myers Leonard has been a huge disappointment, right? Well, not only that, Myers is a five. You can't play yeah. Myers. You like, I I don't know why I don't like to question Terry Stotts because I love him, but I, that whole experiment playing Myers at the four to me was just cuckoo. Not a good idea. Yeah. No. You you can put him there positionally, I guess, offensively, but he needs to be in the paint defensively. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, the things that I'm excited for really are, you know, to me, this is like kind of, this is a full Neil O'Shea team. You've got a full season of Nurkic. You're going to have training camp to work guys in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got some new young blood. You've got a, a few things kind of going well for you, but it seems like the rest of the league is against you, particularly in the Western Conference. Yeah. So, and the thing is, you're getting into Damon CJ's prime. And if you're going to make a move, now is the time. Like, otherwise, you're just wasting time with these guys. The thing is, like, and here's the thing about Neil O'Shea. I think he's actually sort of put himself in a corner. But what move do you have left to make? You've you've overpaid every. It's a move. Of, it's a move of desperation. Yeah, and that's it, and everyone can to... sniff that out, and you're going to end up giving up way too much to get anything in return. Mm-hmm. So and that's, that's that's why I wasn't thrilled with you, you could see it coming a mile away last season. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like the position they put themselves in with that was just just the overpaying guys. Like offering Evan Turner that contract. Like I still think that Evan Turner can grow into the role he has on Portland, and I think he can be good for the team. I 
I think he can be a, a veteran stabilizing presence to a certain extent. And he's good at what he does for the most part. Like he hits the mid-range shot and he's a good team defender. He's not a huge negative like he was when he was in Philadelphia. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's learned and he's funny as hell on Twitter. But still, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's gaping holes in this team, especially defensively. I don't know. I think they have some potential, and I think they've got. I think with Nurkic being there, as you're saying, and I think with Damon CJ potentially growing defensively, who knows? I think if I was them, I would have stayed in the gym the whole offseason just working on their defense because we'd already know they can play offense. Um, who knows, man? Maybe they, maybe they can. This is the thing we're talking about is we're sitting here talking about like these what seem to be massive moves like you're asking players who've never really played defense to play defense. Right. And like like you're counting on that to be the thing that gets you there. And that that to me is like that that paints the picture for where Portland is right now. Yeah. Like you're hoping and praying that giant leaps happen in order to be successful when you've never seen this out of them at any point in their career before. Right. I mean, if you're in that position, shit, you're not in a good I mean, position. <laughs> you're not in a good spot already. No. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, well, I, I totally forgot where I was going with that next question. <laughs> this is the best it's part a, of the podcast that, right here. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's the, that's the Debbie downer portion of the podcast. I've been known as, Well, everybody around here is like, why are you so negative on this team? I'm like, listen, if this team all of a sudden figures it out, I'll be the biggest damn cheerleader you've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, they're going to, they're going to be fun. They're going to be fun. They're going to give you reasons to Night in, night out, they're going to be entertaining basketball. Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic are going to be entertaining basketball. That's the only reason why I haven't just completely lost my shit. Yeah. No, for sure. I I honestly think they're going to be more fun than we, we, like maybe everyone thinks they're going to be. Cause I think another year with Nurkic there, I remember when he was the first year in Denver, I thought this kid was going to be a brilliant star. And then, you know, he got disgruntled. They had another big and whatever things happen, but I still think all of that potential is there. And if he's slimming down, he's going to be able to move laterally better. He's going to be able to get up and down the court better. And he's going to be able to block, you know, shots, get defend the rim better. That helps a lot. He's going to be able an outlet for them to pass to, uh, I think the offense could maybe take another leap, and I, you know, I honestly think maybe they could get into the playoffs. They might beat out the Jazz because I think the Jazz really are going to take making the playoffs. To me, is kind of if you're asking me to throw a percent down, they probably have like a seventy percent chance to make the playoffs. Do you think that like they, they have a good chance? There's no yeah. doubt in my mind. But they're also one Dame or CJ injury, away five or seven game injury. We're not even talking like no. missing a month. We're right. talking like missing two weeks. Yeah, it's gonna like be- if they go on a, if they're on a road trip without one of those guys, or they're on an extended homestand without one of those guys, where they've got a bunch of games in a row, shit could go sideways really quickly, really fast. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Do you think Dame gets snubbed from the All-Star game again this year? Or do you think CJ can yeah. make it? Yeah, no. He's getting snubbed again. They just added Jimmy Butler and Paul George. Yeah, I know. It sucks. <laughs> it's just, like, they just no... put him further down the pecking order. Uh, dude, and it about... sucks, too. Like, think... if he played in any other era, he's an All-Star every year. I was going to say, think about if this. if Portland goes ham, though, let, 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 before you go on this, yeah. if Portland won, like, uh, let's let's say that they go on, like, one of those, like, 13-game winning streaks to, to right. get into the All-Star break. He could make an argument for an all-star appearance because the national media will start paying attention. Yeah. There, There is no market o- more overlooked than Portland or Sacramento. 
I, nobody gives a shit about these two franchises. I absolutely agree. Like those, those are the two most people talk. Well, what about Phoenix or I'm like, even Phoenix get got love when Phoenix when it's more love than yeah, Portland does. Honestly, I, I mean, it's just that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, that that's just how it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be gonna be be. So unless and they just can't make like a little bit of noise. Like even when Portland was doing things, we're talking in the Western Conference Finals year in year out. In the late '90s, like they mm-hmm. were, when you put them down on paper, they're the second or third or fourth best team in the entire NBA. They still weren't night in, night out, Sports Center top three games, you know, in the feed. But I me- know because I'd come home from high school and turn <laughs> on Sports Center, and they weren't there. But doesn't just let's if we're being totally honest here, doesn't part of you actually love that underdog? like being the underdog always see if i was like a true like died in the wool oregonian sure but i'm from la (laughs) oh oh shit man (laughs) i'm Uh, sitting here in head to toe usc trojan gear (laughs) i mean and people always like how the hell are you not a lakers fan and like growing up in like in la prime showtime lakers and i'm like i just I just didn't like I, I watched Clyde Drexler when I was like four years old and I became a Blazers fan. That's fair. But like that's more part of like the whole like I want to see a title thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm my family's Dodgers fans. I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. I'm a USC Trojans fan. I'm a Raiders fan. And, and I, you know, even now I, I, I <laughs> oh, yeah, especially now. Hell yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're back. I'm an L.A. Kings fan. But I mean, every franchise except for the Raiders and the Blazers. I'm a, I'm a Portland Timbers fan. Even the Portland MLS team has won a title recently. <laughs> you know, every other franchise that I root for is like their goal every year is title. Yeah. USC, when they're not in sanctions, their goal is title. <laughs> the St. Louis Cardinals, they're always building towards a title. The LA Kings were, you know, two out of three years, a few years ago, Stanley cup winners. Mm-hmm. I mean, these franchises that I, that I've associated with since, you know, you know, everyone's like, Oh, you're a Kings fan. You're a bandwagon. Fan. I'm like, no man, Wayne Kretzky came to the Kings when I was in LA. <laughs> I made me a damn Kings fan, you know? And it's just nothing would make me happier than this team figuring it out. But for them to figure it out, like I said, there's just so many damn things that have to go right yeah. for them just to claw their way out of the bottom half of the playoff picture. It's going to be a tough road for sure. I have faith. I'm rooting for them because I don't know, man, if I was going to root for a West coast team, it'd probably be Portland because I do love that underdog mentality. The only problem with me rooting for any West coast team is I can't stay awake to watch yeah, you, the games. You gotta, you, yeah, you gotta stay up to ten thirty start time. Yeah, exactly, dude. It's eleven o'clock right now, and I have to go to bed so I can get up in the morning and go to work. Yeah, Max Rappaport, you know, he's yeah, big time Philly guy. He yeah. moved out here to the West Coast when I was talking to him about it. Um, and I go, the one thing that you're gonna love, man, you're gonna turn on Sixers games at four o'clock in the afternoon, yeah. three o'clock in the afternoon. And he's like, oh, you. You're right. I'm like, yeah, buddy. Like, yeah, I'm going to have all day to watch basketball. I'm like, welcome to West Coast basketball life, my friend. That must be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Dan, I should probably let you go so that I can go to bed. Uh, (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Because it's 11 o'clock for you. Yeah, man. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for coming on and uh, spreading your knowledge around because you're way more knowledgeable about the Blazers than I am about anything in my entire life. <laughs> I don't know if that says a lot about me though. <laughs> yeah, and I have a master's degree and I still don't know shit. Um, 
It says a lot about you, my friend. Uh, <sighs> do me, <laughs> you might be obsessed, but it also says a lot about your intellectual capacity <laughs> as a human being. You're, you're amazing. Uh, do me, I just talked about it way too damn much. Uh, that's cool. It's, that's what we're here for. Um, plug your stuff one more time and we'll get out. I'll, I'll, I'm going to go to bed. I'm not even going to say goodnight. <laughs> Absolutely, man. All right. You can find me on blazersedge.com. Uh, I write, I'm a feature writer there. I am a podcast host there. You can find me on Twitter at D Morang. And as always, I am also a part of almighty baller podcast network where you can find the blazers edge podcast now. Awesome. Thanks, man. I'm going to go to bed. I'll talk to you again soon. Oh, <laughs> rush out, buddy. <laughs> Thanks dude. Bye-bye. See you, man. So there you go, everybody. Damn Narang, thanks again for coming on and filling up the airwaves with your wonderful knowledge. And uh, that's going to be it for me, guys and gals, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay.